0: your grandparent or your uncle or your auntie or has got a whole bunch of your family together, I'm seeing lots of laughter and pointing, that's good. Perhaps your auntie or your grandparent has got a whole bunch of your extended family together, and so you end up having this couple of hours of awkward conversation after awkward conversation when you don't really remember your third cousin's name, no matter how many times you meet him or her, and you can't really understand how Uncle Bob fits into the family. Where does he he even come from? I don't know. It's awkward, isn't it? Sometimes family gatherings like that can get awkward. I have lots of great meals with my family, and I love them very, very much. But there are times when it gets awkward. When someone raises a bit of controversy, or when there's a long silence and no one talks, or when someone brings up a painful memory, those family meals can get Awkward, can't they? Well, in our passage in Luke's gospel today, we have the most awkward meal that you have ever seen. This chapter in Luke is one of the rare occasions where Jesus is eating at a Pharisee's house. Over and over again in the gospels, we are told Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors. But here, Luke, verse, Luke 14, verse 1, we are told, Jesus went to eat at the house of of one of the leading Pharisees. This Pharisee is well off enough to hold a banquet for some of his friends, some other Jewish leaders perhaps, some respected people in the community. And so it seems they invite Jesus because he's causing him to of a stir. He's a bit famous. And so they invite him to catch him out in something that he says, to get him into trouble because they don't really trust him. But all through Luke's gospel, Jesus has been challenging these Jewish leaders, these Pharisees, challenging what they think and what they do. Jesus is not afraid to tell them how it is. And so things get a little bit awkward. There's a man whose body is swollen with fluid in the first part of chapter 14. He's sick. And so Jesus asks the room, is it lawful to heal this man on the Sabbath day? when you're not meant to work. What do they say? Nothing. Awkward silence. And so Jesus heals the man then and there, and then rebukes the room. Awkward, right? Really awkward. Could it get any more awkward? Yes. Jesus does it again. As Jesus eats his meal, he notices something. And it gives him an opportunity to teach. And things get even more awkward. He tells us these two parables. One parable to the guests who were invited and another parable to his host. And both the parables he tells them, first of all, what not to do, what to do instead, and why. So let's have a look at this first parable at this very, very awkward meal. Verse 7, Jesus told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. Straight away, Luke gives us more insight into the situation. The Pharisee opens his door to his house to invite his guests in. And what happens? There's this kind of seemingly polite shuffle to get into the door first so that they can get to the best seat at the table. It's a little bit like the back seat on the school bus, isn't it? The most desirable and prestigious seat that there is. Every school kid knows that if you make it to the back seat of the bus, you've made it in life. (laughs) Who's got to sit on the back seat before? Ah, not enough of you. Guess we haven't made it in life. (laughs) As soon as those bus doors open, it's every man for himself to get to that most honourable seat, the back seat. And it's a little bit similar and a little bit different in Jesus' day. So when, Jesus, when people came together in Jesus' day for a meal, they would sit on a U-shaped couch. So have a look at this picture to eat their meal. If there is a picture, there is a picture. And so the host would sit at the base of the U-shape. And then on either side of the U were the most important seats to the right and the left of the host. And then each seat further down the arms of the U would be less and less important, less honourable, until you get to the very last seats at the end, the least honourable places. It's not a politically correct way to order your, your meal, or it's not the nicest way to do things, but that's how they did it in that day. And so what does Jesus notice at this particular meal? You can get rid of that image. Thanks, Ross. The guests at this meal rush to the best seats. They rush to the seats next to the host. They want honor for themselves. And so they take it. And so Jesus responds by telling them what not to do. Let's read verse 8. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet... Don't recline at the best place. What does Jesus tell his hearers not to do? Jesus says, do the very opposite of what you have just done. Awkward, right? Jesus is beginning to challenge their default way of thinking and acting, and he makes the room very awkward. And you can imagine at this point what they're thinking, can't you? If they were really switched on, they'd be thinking, He's saying this because of what we've just done. But I'm sure most of them are thinking, really? Why Jesus? And who do you think you are to say that? Well, what reason does Jesus give? Verse 8, because what if someone more distinguished, someone more important than you arrives and you are forced by the host to get up from your seat And sit somewhere else. And what if the only place left is the last seat, the one at the end? Imagine the humiliation that someone in that culture would have felt. Imagine the loss of face. It's like sitting on the back seat of the bus. And then your teacher comes and asks you to come sit up the front of the bus with him or her. That, no one wants that, right? Well, then Jesus paints the opposite picture. He tells his listeners what to do instead. Verse 10, But when you are invited, go and recline in the lowest place. Jesus is saying, if you're on the bus and you choose the seat right up the front next to the teacher, and then the teacher moves the person from the back seat, they have to sit in your seat. And so you get to walk up to the back seat, gaining more and more honor with each row of seats that you, that you go after. At this point, Jesus' teaching is a little bit practical, isn't it? It's logical. Don't be proud and self-seeking, or it will end badly for you. It's better for you to be humble and take the lower seat And more honor will come to you as you're asked to sit up higher. It's practical. And you can also see here Jesus is playing with his audience a little bit. He's playing to them. The Pharisees and his guests, they love the important seats. They love to look great. They love the esteem of other people. And so Jesus says, I know a better way of getting that than you do. But Jesus is saying more than that. Jesus is not just telling them how they can get the most honor possible in life. No, Jesus raises their eyes to the bigger picture in verse 11. He says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Why does Jesus say all of this? Why does he say that you should take the lowest seat and not take the highest seat? Because generally in life, if you exalt yourself, you will quickly be humbled. Which is true, isn't it? Nobody likes it when someone big notes themselves, especially when it is at your expense or someone else's expense. For example, if you continually exalt yourself over someone else, you think you are better than the people around you, you're going to lose their friendship, aren't you? If you exalt yourself over someone to the point where you abuse them or you murder them, you're humbled off to prison. If you sit in someone else's seat at the movies or at a concert, you are asked to get up and move because you're doing the wrong thing. Give it a go sometime next time you're at a wedding reception. As soon as you get in the door, walk up to the bridal table and take the seat of the best man or the maid of honor. And then just see what happens when the bridal party arrives. (laughs) I think it would be a fun experiment. And I think you would quickly learn that if you exalt yourself, you are very, very quickly humbled. On the flip side of the coin, those people who give up their lives for other people, who save someone's life or who care for someone who needs something... Those people are held up as heroes in our world, aren't they? They're the people who make the news. They are exalted, honored, and rewarded, and promoted. Generally, in lots of areas of life, if you exalt yourself, you're humbled. And if you humble yourself, you're exalted. But Jesus is, again, talking about more than that. If we think a bit more, he's not just talking about everyday life. Because often when Jesus says this very phrase, he's not just talking about today. He's talking about judgment day. He's talking about the day when God raises every human being who has ever lived and he judges them. He humbles those who have been arrogant and proud before him. And he raises up and saves and exalts those people who have humbled themselves before him and come to him for forgiveness. That day, the day of resurrection, that is what Jesus is talking about. And so what is Jesus teaching us? He's saying in light of God's judgment, in light of that day of resurrection, God desires humility. It's the best way of life because the humble are exalted on that day of resurrection. Jesus is saying to the room full of Pharisees and religious experts, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes to the future. Lift your eyes to the bigger picture. The day of resurrection is coming, so live your life now in light of it. Be humble because that is what counts on that day. Not the honor that you might receive from other people in the same room as you. No, the honor that God gives you on that day is what counts. Jesus isn't finished making things awkward, and so he speaks then to his hosts. He's spoken to his guests, now he speaks to the host, the leading Pharisee, the one who's invited him and set a meal before him. Jesus tells him what not to do, what to do instead, and why. Let's read verse 12. Jesus also said to the one who had invited him, When you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. Can you sense the awkwardness in the room? Jesus is not exactly a polite guest, is he? Jesus tells his host to do what? the exact opposite of what he has just done. Awkward, right? Jesus says to his host, don't invite the people that you would naturally invite to your meal. Don't invite those people who have the means to pay you back. Why? Because they might do just that. They might return the favor. And this was really strong in Jesus' day, this idea in their culture that if someone does something for you, you have to return the favor. It's socially expected and it's socially unacceptable if you don't return the favor somehow. And so this led to people in Jesus' day inviting over their friends and their family and people who could return the favor and they would just do that time and time again. Go from house to house, having meal for for meal, time and time again. But Jesus teaches a totally different way when he says in verse 13 what to do instead. Who are they to invite instead? The poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Those who had no money, those who had no job, those who could not work to support themselves because they were disabled. Those people who had to uh, lean on others for provision. Those people that others looked at and saw them as cursed and punished by God because of what they were going through. Those people that others shunned. Israel had a terrible track record of looking after people like this. And it seems the people of Jesus' day were exactly the same. And it makes me wonder, doesn't it, makes me wonder hope it makes you wonder what jesus would say if he was at one of our meals next time you invite someone to have people over for a meal i've had plenty of meals with you guys i'm having meals with you in the next week or two at those meals think about this what would jesus say if he showed up to that meal now i don't think jesus is saying that you are not allowed to have meals with your family and friends In fact, the pattern of the New Testament was for the people in the church to eat together, like we do in our home groups and after church sometimes. There's something wonderful about brothers and sisters eating together, spending time over a meal. That is a good thing. But I think Jesus is raising the question, am I being selfish in whom I invite to eat with me? Am I only eating with the people that I want to or people that are like me or people that can repay me? Am I being generous? Am I being generous to those who cannot be generous back to me? Am I being like the good Samaritan that we heard about last week who didn't think he was better than the person in front of him but who helped that person, the person in need before him who was different to him? Our weekend away, Invest, is coming up in a few weeks. But if you were there last year, do you remember what we talked about? We thought about what our responsibility was in light of the day of resurrection. We thought about how we can use our time and money and possessions for the good of those who are in need. So how has that gone over the last year? Has your last year looked different in light of what we saw in God's word all those months ago? When I think about the past year for me, I'm afraid I have to say that I have not spent enough time or energy doing what I need to for those people who are in need. I have have spent too much time and too much energy focusing on my needs and wants without putting time and energy to those people who really are in need. And so I, and I think all of us, need this teaching from Jesus again. We need it to humble us and to take away our Western sense of entitlement that says my time and money is for me, for me to do what I want with it. No, Jesus says humility and generosity are the best way to live, the best way to live in light of the resurrection. So our time and our money and everything should go towards that day. To being humble and generous to people, seeking what God will have to say to us on that day. Not the honor and repayment of people around us here and now. But let's go back to the awkward meal at the Pharisees' house. Where Jesus yet again raises their eyes, and our eyes too, to the bigger picture. Why does Jesus say these things? Verse 14. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. It sounds a bit illogical, doesn't it? You'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. Wouldn't you be blessed if, you, if they could repay you and they did repay you? No, Jesus again lifts our eyes to the day of resurrection. The day of resurrection is coming, so live in light of that day. Be generous because that is what counts on that day, not the repayment of your friends or your family now. Jesus says generosity is the best way of life because the generous will be repaid on that day. And it's really intriguing, I think, to wonder what, what is that repayment? What is that repayment that he will give us? Is it literal repayment? Will he give us the money or things that we gave up for others? Is it hearing Jesus say those wonderful words that we long to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. Is it seeing those people who we loved and helped and hearing them say thank you? I don't know. And I think in the end it doesn't matter what the repayment is. We can trust God with that. But what does matter is living in light of the resurrection. In both of Jesus' parables, to both the guests and the host, Jesus is raising the question, how should we live in light of the resurrection, the future that God has in store for us? The answer? The best way to live in light of the resurrection is to be other person focused. What does that look like? Humility. Generosity. Genuinely putting others before us and their needs above ours. And so Jesus encourages us to ask, this person, God, that you have put before me, what does this person need? What can I do for this person? What can I give to this person? How can I love them? What do I have that they might need? Do they need a meal? Do they need a place to live for a while? Do they need someone to read the Bible with them? Do they need a babysitter? Do they need encouragement? Do they need to be reminded that they are loved and saved by God through Jesus? Do they need to be reminded of the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus? How can I meet the needs of this person that you have put in front of me, God? And the wonderful news is that Jesus is our prime example of living in light of the resurrection. He's our prime example of humility and generosity. He has been incredibly humble and generous towards us, hasn't he? He is humble and generous towards those who cannot repay God for their sin, those who even hate him, those who are his enemies. While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. And it's his humility and generosity in going to the cross that actually bring about that day of resurrection and enable us to be a part of it. It's his death. It's his blood shed for us that means that we will be raised to eternal life, having our sins covered, because he humbly and generously died for us. And so Jesus is our motivation and our example because Jesus gave himself for us. He was humble and generous towards us. And so then he calls us to do the same, to be humble and generous in light of that day of resurrection, just as he was. Jesus says, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes to the future, the day of resurrection, and live humble and generous lives in light of that. Let's pray for God's help. God, our Father, we are so thankful for the humility and generosity of our Lord Jesus. We rejoice in the fact that he left his throne in heaven to become one of us, to live amongst us in humility and generosity, even to the point of dying for us. Thank you. And thank you for his teaching in this part of Luke's gospel. Thank you that he was not afraid to make things awkward and to challenge the Pharisees. But please, Lord, help us to be challenged by his words today. Give us minds and hearts eager to be other person focused. Help us to find ways of being humble and generous to each other and to those in need. Please help us to live all of our lives in light of that day when Jesus comes and we are raised. And we pray for that day that Jesus will be glorified on it. And we pray in his name. Amen.